0: Uh, I'm going to start with David. Were you looking for a really dark character to explore this sort of thing? And what work did you do uh, to go into
1: Kale's psyche? Uh, I, 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 the, the, I, I love the idea that you imagine I might be in some way tactical, uh, <laughs> but I'm looking for something specific. I just got this script uh, and, uh, and I just thought this is an amazing Set up an amazing story and a bonkers character, uh, so uh, I just jumped at the chance. Really, it, it, it uh, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't specifically angling to play a sort of psychotic monster, but there was <laughs> something uh, rather delicious about exploring those darker corners of uh, the human psyche. Of course, um, I. I I had been reading up on psychopaths in recent history because I played another one for Marvel, um, so I I, I, uh, I dusted them down a little bit and I got and uh, uh, we, we did a, a bit more reading around that subject.
2: Oh yeah, what was that book you were reading when we were f- shooting the film? You were reading a book called like. Psychopathy and how it helps in.
1: Business. It, was, it was something Brandon gave me. Yeah. The
3: wisdom of psychopaths. The wisdom, the wisdom of psychopaths. Of psychopaths. Yeah. yeah,
1: there you go. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, there's lots to read and lots to. Uh, and then, of course, you just have to you just have to set yourself free into this character and uh, and uh, uh, try and find the empathy, which is hard with a man who has none.
2: Right over here.
0: Uh, For Mr. Boyce, can you talk about what was the peanut butter and chocolate of putting together this story? What was like, what if there's a psycho, and then what if somebody finds him who can't talk about him? Or what
3: if there's a burglar who finds something?
2: Well, I think I was the chocolate.
3: (laughs) 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 Uh, Most of my stories are about jamming two things together, two random ideas that that I've had. But it, it certainly started with the idea of uh, from the technology perspective of uh, of giving your car your keys to a valet, uh, which we do in Los Angeles maybe you know a few times a day, and what you're really handing that person. And then once once this person is in your car, and our GPS now has a home button or our address on the registration, and we get to the house, and there's an automatic garage door that opens. It opens, it, and now we're in the garage, and no one ever locks the door to the kitchen, and now they're in your house. You know, and it, that was sort of the. That was the impetus for the whole sort of idea of, and then I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if the house that was broken into, if that got turned around and the person who was breaking in had his own life completely blown open. And I thought, well, what would it take to make that happen? Well, it would take a very smart psychopath and it would take a person uh, from Robbie's perspective, somebody who I actually cared about, even though probably should not be breaking into houses.
1: Is that a thing that's. Sorry, I realise I'm not meant to be asking the questions.
3: But. Yes, um, <laughs> David.
1: Is that a thing that. I mean, is there any evidence that that's ever happened with valets? Because when I read it, I thought, "That's
3: of course, of course, this must happen all the time." It, it, it did happen. I remember there was a, there was a story uh, uh, that one of my reps sent me shortly after it happened, of it happening. I thought, "Oh no, it's going to be a thing, and it's going to take all the thunder out from our movie." Right. Um, it might become a thing now, and it might be your fault. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a cruel indictment on yeah, valets yeah. everywhere. in This movie. <laughs> yeah. That or every valet is going to completely mess with my car from now until really, Yeah. So one of the two things
0: all right next question hi just kind of continuing on the ballet theme. um i was going to ask any of you have you ever had a bad experience where something has disappeared from your car you know when you dropped it off and then when you came back later on either your laptop no, or do you know what
2: uh,
3: pad was missing
2: a friend of mine's story springs to mind she was driving around town here in Los Angeles and had her car valeted a few times. And to be honest with you, to be absolutely honest, I have had seen her be rude to valets in the past, right? So she told me this story, like it was a great trauma that happened to her. But she said, it got to dusk, the sun was setting and she pulled down her visor and a bunch of pubes fell in her lap. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and I
2: burst out laughing in her face.
3: I but I was supposed to be, oh, oh God, that's terrible. Oh God. I think the opposite is actually true, to be honest. I think the poor valets probably get blamed for everything missing from a car, just like the person who cleans your house is responsible for everything missing from your house. Uh, so I, mean, I did have an incredibly short lived career as a valet of about two days, and uh, the customer service aspect of it did not, did not suit me. But uh, <laughs> um, Talking to others. But I, I think that for the most part, they are completely doing their job, and we just. Misplace stuff all the time in our cars. Great, David, if you wanted
1: to say something. I just thought you, when you asked that question, I felt you you had an experience. Um,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna take the fifth on that one, <laughs> things oh. just, yeah, things have disappeared from my
1: car. Maybe you just forgot what you put <laughs> <laughs> that.
0: The steering wheel, for example. for the director. I'm here. Hello. Yes. Hello. How was about David's work and robert work that made you to choose them to do the movie? Well. here's the thing and this is this is (laughs) a thousand percent (laughs) honest you know um, there's there there come there comes a time when you start to you you see things uh, on television or movies and you just you you kind of lust for man wouldn't it be great if I could work with these guys you know and these both these actors were my dream choices And, and when you do a movie what you do is you put your dream choice up And then you put, and if I can't get them, I I, maybe these people, and then it's like, who you'll settle for, you know? You know, we used to do, there used to be a joke in Hollywood, you know, guy said, I've got De Niro starring my movie. I was like, Robert De Niro? No, Murray De Niro, but he's (laughs) really good. Um, So this was one of the, the, you know, in the case of Robbie, I had gone crazy over him in the TV series called Misfits. And my wife and I would watch the show and just go, this guy's gonna be a gigantic star. And uh, I did another movie a couple of years ago and I wrote a part for, for Robbie, and was fortunate enough to get him to do it. And as we started working, I realized the depth of his, of his skill level and I got really excited about it. And I kind of slipped him the script and said, you got to do it. And then with David, you know, A, I, I'm just crazy about all of his work. I mean, I've never seen an actor, you know, normally if, 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 when an audience falls in love with an actor doing a certain kind of part. They'll tolerate or even admire them doing something different, but they really want to do the thing that they fell in love with. David's one of the few people I've seen where they fell in love with him in Doctor Who, but they also fell in love with him on Broadchurch, and they also fell in love with him on uh, uh, Jessica Jones. Three totally different characters. And and, and I've never seen that before. So uh, when I went to ask David to be in the movie, uh, I was trying to pretend like I'm a sophisticated director. And we were doing the Skype call, and two minutes into it, I started fanboying and asking about the TARDIS, and the... <laughs> it, was just, it was just embarrassing. <laughs> if I remember, early, you were wearing a Doctor Who shirt, so I mean, you weren't you weren't working very hard at that game. Not only was I wearing a Doctor Who shirt, you pointed out that it was the logo for the eleventh Doctor. And it, was it, was the the- <laughs> it was the long logo. It dog was dog. the long logo. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: nearly hung up right there and then. Put <laughs> <laughs> <Foot> in mouth. <laughs> okay, next question technology seems to play kind of a, a central, almost a, a character in the movie but then there's also the backdrop of, of Oregon the Portland which is a little rustic. Yeah. Why, did, why did you choose technology and why that, that contrast? Which is an interesting contrast.
3: I can speak to the technology and I'll let Dean speak to the Portland but uh, the technology, uh, well the short answer is I was making shit up in my head. Uh, technology that doesn't really exist um, but I totally believe that this guy would would have found a way to make that kind of stuff happen, and I feel like we're you know a lot of this stuff is now exists i mean now this, a lot of the stuff that I thought well they 'll never actually get this with the facility that that kale can use it uh, but I, I think we're very you know we are we put a lot of faith in blocks and passwords and things like that and i 'm very interested in that and have been for a couple of years in my writing so i 'm just kind of peeking away at that idea I, you know I, I start with a question and maybe I get it answered for myself by the end of the writing but Um, I just think we leave ourselves, uh, I'm interested in in taking away at those sense of security that we give ourselves.
0: We've been screening the movie around the country and it's been fun because you hear where the people scream and where they laugh and it tends to be fairly consistent. But uh, uh, David and I were in Silicon Valley and we screened the movie and we got all these cheers on all the technology, which we've never gotten before. (laughs) And then afterwards we are like, first movie to get the technology right. I didn't want to say, yeah, the writer made it up. (laughs) Hi. Um, My question is, I have one question each for Robert and for David. David, you had to go to such a dark place for the movie. When Dean yells cut, do you have to kind of like, okay, I got to decompress? And they go. I'm so grateful for
2: good omens, sir. <laughs> he just killed a bunch of small woodland creatures. The like <laughs> way he unwound. Yeah. They would just bring small animals?
1: And I would just that was no. Um, worryingly not. Uh, apparently not. Anyway, I mean m- maybe maybe you'd have to ask the people around me. I felt like I was uh, entirely balanced at all times. But then, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. You do go to quite a dark place. But then there's something. Like i was saying, there's something kind of uh weirdly liberating about that because you get to indulge all those things that n- normally hopefully our uh our, our functioning psychology doesn't let us go there so to kind of get to dabble in what what it might feel like to have no guilt for someone for a scottish presbyterian whose engine in life is guilt <laughs> uh, to get to uh enjoy um ju- just yeah. a guilt-free moment is there's something because in, a, in an entirely
2: safe environment where nobody is getting hurt, of course, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, there's, there's something kind of giddy about it. I think there's something very cathartic about uh, um, sort of expressing maybe the slightly more the darker side of our nature in a safe environment like it. Because, you know, I, I have a friend who used to self harm when he was younger, like he was 17 or 18. And he said, by the time he was in the ambulance and, like, you know, they were bandaging him up and stuff, he was like, Totally calm and relaxed, going. Oh, sorry about all this silly bother, you know. Because because the madness had gone by that point, and he was just left totally, sort of, utterly calm and relaxed. And so, there's something slightly, uh, there's something very therapeutic, I think, about getting to do that.
1: It sounds like you kind of wished you got to explore that side in your character <laughs> from your comments.
2: Well, you know, there was a, a sort of a darkness of of his own that he mm-hmm. had to go into and um i think actually speaking of scottish guilt <laughs> remorse uh, the, the, you know the darkness that sean has to encounter and sort of go down the rabbit hole of is to do with shame you know which is i suppose paradoxical to kale's journey or, you know lack of emotional sort of journey um so yeah there was, there was a lot of uh, meaty stuff there for sean as well I think what's what's interesting
1: about those characters is as well that they recognise something in each other. They're very different, yeah. and they have a very different mm. way of approaching life and uh, uh, and everything that they do. But there's there's something uh, that that intoxicates them both. I think in the, that they can't. They they, they there's something they recognise almost subconsciously within each other. I think Batman and the Joker, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, for Mr. Boyce.
0: Um, Beth Samaritan starts out looking like it may be rather misogynistic, and without getting too spoilery, that certainly turned around by the end. Did you, did you start out going, okay, I'm starting with this situation, so by the end I've got to uh, pull, pull something out of the hat? Or uh, how, did, how did that
3: uh, I always change knew where come was, about? I always knew where it was going. I always knew where it was going and when i had that in mind i'm able to kind of you know sometimes you have to work backwards but yeah i uh i always knew that without giving anything away that that table would get turned i hope i hope that comes across uh significantly uh question for dean uh working at night how difficult was it you know uh, you know being on on set you know doing the shots things like that can you uh, you know extrapolate on that
0: um well on one hand at least for me i i i, I kind of peak at around 10 10, <laughs> 10 o'clock at night so night shoots in a way are fun for me but the, it, i think you know th- there is this thing when you do too many days in a row at night you start to get this vampire mentality uh but also it was so darn cold i mean when you see the movie and all that breath coming out of the mouth that's we didn't fake that um and in fact uh I'd been shooting up in Portland for about 10 years, and over the course of that time, I think there was two days in 10 years where they had snow in Portland. When we went to shoot the movie, we got hit with five snowstorms. So it was really cold. (laughs) So I think that was the hardest part of the night stuff, was just how darn cold it was.
1: Amazing that for the finale of the movie, we got that snowscape that that we didn't have a budget for. (laughs) (laughs) It gives it a fantastic uh, place to end in, yeah.
2: Hi guys. Uh, Can we talk about the horses? I have a very irrational fear of birds. They terrify me and because of this movie I might have an irrational fear of horses now. Uh, Why horses? And um, especially you know speaking throughout the film and how they kind of uh, shape the landscape of the film just appearing everywhere.
0: Well the first thing I want to make really clear just because it's come up a couple times. There's no horses in the movie. The, the horse in, in the dream is 100% digital. So th- th- there was no horse even, even remotely injured because there was no ho- horse photographed. So I just want to clear the air on that. Um, but it really evolved out of discussions that Brandon and David and I had in talking about the character. And it was, it was really, you know, the thing I love about everybody at this panel is they, they, they came to set incredibly prepared. And it made a big difference shooting, especially on a tight budget like this, but everyone was really prepared. And everyone asked really great questions in pre-production. And as we were exploring Kale's background, it, it started to deepen out. And that's when Brandon started coming up with this whole concept of breaking horses and breaking
3: people. Hi, David. Um, I enjoyed your performance in this film. And it reminded me while I was watching of what Ben Kingsley said about his performance in Sexy Beats in that he he always tries to find the wound of a character, of that kind of character. I was curious, what would you say Kale's biggest wound is?
1: Uh, well, well, yeah, I don't think Kale... <laughs> Kale certainly doesn't know. It's maybe that. A lack of self-awareness is probably uh, right up there. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of damage in his background and there's a lot of... Uh, I'm sure a lot of that goes back to his parents. Uh, uh, and upbringing uh, doesn't it always and uh, I, I think it's he's you know he's he's a, he's a broken human being who doesn't realize he is uh, you, you know he's he's fatally damaged uh, and believes he's the only one who isn't so i suppose it's that it's the gap between uh, where he really sits in society and where he believes he sits in society i guess great
0: Next question hi um, Mr. Tan, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, so while you were growing up, did you ever fear a certain villain? Um, if so, did you use them as an influence towards Kale? Like,
1: the, 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 the only time I really remember being scared, uh, watching a movie as a kid, was, um, The Child Catcher and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh,
3: yeah!
1: <laughs> yeah, Robert Helpman. It was utterly terrifying yeah. in that movie. Even now, I you have to look away. <laughs> How much of that got channeled into Kiel? I I will let the audience decide. But uh, if if it has half the effect on any member of the audience that the child catcher has on me, then I will feel like I have done my job well. (laughs) Next
2: question. So this question is for all four of you. When you guys were in the process of making this film, what would you uh, say
1: is your most memorable moment during the process?
3: That's a tricky one. Anybody want
0: to tackle that? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's not a great story, except you know, just for me, the the moment was uh, uh, David's first uh, day on set because uh, he had graciously agreed to come straight from the airport to set, which was crazy because he was flying in from London. So I mean, can you imagine how tired he was? And it was the first time that these two met each other on set. And so again as a pure fanboy, forget as a director, but to have my favorite actors suddenly show up on set and they're chatting away. And I'm taking pictures of them on my phone, like I'm yeah, like a stalker. <laughs> uh, but I don't know, there was something in that night. And also my, my kids are in the movie and my wife's in the movie and, and they were there that night as well. And it was, I don't know, there was just something that just felt so great about having all of these people that I'm in love with on set at the same time. So for me, I'll, that's a night I'll never forget.
2: I liked being out in the wilderness i love being out in the wilderness you know um i suppose because i spent a lot of my life bouncing from urban place to urban place it's lovely when you get to do some filming uh, uh out in the the wild you know off the beaten track so when we went out to uh near mount hood where we shot all the finale stuff that was great because also we were all uh uh kind of staying under one roof in this little hotel in a town called sandy which is in the film and uh you know we kind of just had each other and um you know we just wandered out and had dinner every evening and got to spend a week in the woods so that was all really lovely it's all because re- oregon you know it, it, it's so incredibly beautiful and uh when you go there, you have to go out into the woods, you have to go out into the wilds.
1: Yeah, I think my favourite memory probably comes from that, that uh, week as well. And specifically, I, I remember this scene, because this, we actually got to do very little acting together, yeah. weirdly. Yeah. You know, we're sort of, we're, we're, they're, they're almost two competing storylines, although they're interacting all the time, they're sort of chasing each other rather than. And, and I, I, I have very vivid memories of that scene where you're all beaten up yeah. sitting on the kind of uh, porch. Yeah. And uh, and I'm kind of haranguing you, and uh, we we got we got to do an actual
3: meaty scene together, yeah, I remember that very very clearly and very fondly uh, for me it was uh it it was two months of shooting, uh, which as a writer is not something you're normally or oftentimes uh, a part of not that it should be that way, but it often is and uh for me it was the, it was the experience of being of being part of this and 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 Dean and I working very well and, and you know Dean saying i I want you up there the the entire time and uh, so it was seeing things working it was solving problems along the way helping to uh you know seeing what worked and what didn't work and trying to figure out a way to make it happen uh you know oftentimes when a writer is on set if a writer is there the entire time it's sort of uh writing what they're going to be shooting you know locked in a trailer writing what's going to be shot after lunch or writing the next or you know what they're going to shoot the next day I didn't even bring my computer to set that the dean was speaking about how prepared everybody was and and a lot of that is testament to dean and having done his homework about the locations and where we were going to be shooting uh so i was there to you know it, it really freed up me to be useful in other areas so uh i was grateful for that and that was a fantastic thing we have time for one more question Thank you. Uh, this seems very much like a pet project as far as a writing situation, directing situation is concerned. Uh, I wanted to ask, this seems like in the film, there's a lot of backstory that's not overly explained about Kale's character. And I was wondering if this is open to interpretation from the audience, or is there an actual uh, backstory that you either did or did not write into the script, or are you opening this up for possibly working with these characters in the future? Well, uh, you know, people like uh, David said it right. But, you know, a psychopath—they don't always—they think there's something wrong with everybody with everybody else. So they are nomadic by nature. They move around. They—they uh, they don't have a lot of entanglements, a, a lot of people, you know, in their lives. So in some ways, it's—it's it's like a shark. You know, you don't need to explain why a shark is a shark. So. I'm fine throwing the audience in there and saying they're gonna, you know, they're gonna understand what kind of guy this is. You know, you're gonna see what you're dealing with, and you're and you're gonna know that that's the kind of way this guy is gonna live his life, going wherever he goes. His life is gonna, he's he's gonna make his life, you know, wherever he goes. So I didn't feel the need to over-explain everything. I thought I felt like the audience will come along.
0: I think th- that. If people want to know more about his backstory in a good way, then that's fantastic. It means the character was intriguing and they want to know more. If it's frustrating, then we've failed. And it's always hard to to, to to make sure you're on that, you know, on that that balance. Um, we wanted to give you enough that it was understandable, but we also wanted to hold back that 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 you could interpret and add your own thing into it, or just simply want to know more. Um, you know uh this this is a labor of love this movie you know uh i, I have to say uh, from the moment i read brandon's script and then finding out i was going to get to work with these actors this was this meant more to me than anything else i've ever done in my career and the fact that we got to do it hundred percent independently to shoot it independently to finance it independently, and now we're releasing it independently, which is just really remarkable. Uh, it's just been this incredible experience, and you know, I I, I want to take this second to actually thank all of you for being here. I mean, we we're not a giant studio with a huge machine and a boatload of dough to to promote our film, and you know, we appreciate all of you writing about the movie and getting the word out. And this is a lot like a um, you know a, a, a grassroots political campaign. I mean, we've been crossing the country going to sci-fi conventions and kissing babies and trying to get the word out and there's something kind of magical about that as
3: well you know it's it it's been an incredible experience and one that i'm going to treasure for the rest of my life